pretty famous story uh, from the life of Jesus. Uh, it's from Mark chapter 4. If you want to look in your own Bible or it's printed in the bulletin. As you know, it's a story uh, where Jesus and his disciples are um, out on uh, the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up. Um, this is Mark chapter 4. We're going to be talking about the subject of fear and, and Jesus and our fears. From Mark chapter 4, starting verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, his disciples, Let us go across to the other side, the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then was this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your power. Speak to us this morning through your word by your spirit. When you say to our lives, to our hearts, peace be still. And may we believe. Amen. This passage is about the reality of storms. There are storms. Storms are real. Um, nothing really rivets the attention like a tedious, amateur, meteoro meteorological explanation. And so I want to begin this morning with that. Because you're going to love it. Pretend that I'm your local weatherman. Um, the, the disciples of Jesus this morning are on the Sea of Galilee. They're actually at night for us this morning. Interesting thing about the Sea of Galilee is that it's 700 feet below sea level. Very low. And uh, just 30 miles away is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. 9,200 feet. Feet 30 miles away from 700 below. Nice uh, ten thousand foot difference there. So you don't have to be a, you don't have to study meteorology to know that that's going to create what very cold air up on the mountain and then extremely warm air over the lake. And so it's very very common, even to this day, for incredibly intense, powerful storms to erupt with barely a moment's notice. In fact, to this day, if you park your car next to the Sea of Galilee, there are signs warning you <laughs> to keep an eye on the weather and to be ready to move your car or it could easily get flooded. The sea will surge so, so strongly that it will wash over the parking lot. You guys live next to the ocean. You know what this is like. You've experienced hurricanes and threats of hurricanes, but these, these storms can become so intense in the Sea of Galilee that a little fisherman's vessel that Jesus and his disciples would be on would be like 
a small toy that a child in a bathtub is playing with as he sloshes around, which is what it would have felt like. But this storm was even intense for the Sea of Galilee. Because these men that Jesus is with, what was most of their vocation? They were fishermen. Where did they fish? On the Sea of Galilee. They knew it. They knew this body of water. They knew what they were doing. They knew their way around the boat. They had seen storms before, but this one was different. And they are terrified. They are fearing for their lives. They are scared. They are panicked. They're afraid. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? What's your storm? What circumstance in your life creates chaos and doubt? Are you afraid of rejection? Because you think you may be on the verge of experiencing it or because you've experienced it already through divorce, through abandonment, through betrayal? afraid of exposure, that everyone at work will soon find out that you're not really as good at your job as you've been pretending, that you fudge the numbers on your resume, that they can hire someone right out of college who's younger and smarter and cheaper than you, and move along swiftly. Likewise, you're afraid of failure. You will be exposed, that you can't make it, you can't get into the school or the college that you hope to. You can't get the job that you wanted, that you'll never get the promotion. Are you afraid of being alone? Or are you afraid of being known? Of not being alone? And so exposed. Every now and again, I'll have a stress dream. I remember one very vividly. I'm a campus minister at William & Mary. And I remember this dream so real. I was at our Tuesday night large group, which is our version of what we're doing now on the campus. And I'm sitting on the front row, getting ready to preach, and there's people just keep coming in, and filling up. Yes, you know, every minister's dream in a full room, right? And I'm getting excited, and the time comes for me, it's a record number, and the room's just packed. And I get up to the front, and you, you know the underwear dream we all have, you know, you're in middle school, and you're just in your underwear. A minister's version of that is not having sermon notes. Right? So I get up to the front and I realize I have no sermon. I have nothing to say, but I do have my Bible and I'm, I'm fumbling around and I don't know what to say. And then pretty soon the crowd starts to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. And I see them all and they just start turning on me. Right? Oh, this guy's, what is this? We're at it. And they just get up and I'll just start filing out the door. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, Jesus is good. Look, so that's the subject. You know, come, come back. And they, and they leave and then they wake up. Realize. It takes me a second to realize that didn't happen. Being exposed. It's an exposure dream. Like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. And Toto will come and pull back and everyone will see. And here we have this passage about fear, and it's the front end of a string of passages in Mark about fear. Next paragraph over, there's a man possessed with demons. And he is afraid of himself and of what is inside. And Jesus cast out the demons after the man had shrieked in horror out of fear of Jesus. And then when the people of the village come and see this man who's been healed, they're afraid, it says. They're afraid because Jesus has disrupted their status quo. 
Jesus. They're afraid that their life has been disrupted. And then there's this woman, an older woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, it says, and she's so afraid of being shamed. She's afraid of the crowd, but she's afraid of Jesus too, so she sneaks up on him and touches him, trying to do it without his knowing. Because she's afraid. He heals her. And then there's a story of a man named Jairus, whose 12-year-old daughter is on her deathbed. And in desperation and defiance of his Roman culture, he has gone to this rabbi to ask for help. And then he gets a message. The moment he gets to Jesus, saying it's too late, your daughter is dead. some problems and storms in our lives, some difficulties and fears 
or because of something we did. It's my own stupid fault. I made a mistake and it brought something about. But sometimes Jesus brings us into storms on his own. Even the result of obeying his orders. These storms come. That's the deal. That's what we have signed up for if we are followers of Christ. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. First Peter says this, don't be surprised when you face trials and sufferings as if something strange were happening to you. The Bible tells us these storms are normal. They are the pattern of Jesus. They are the pattern of the cross. And if I'm really honest, I don't think it's true. Because I want things to be easy and nice. I want things to be comfortable. And I believe, really, deep down, that if I do things right, and if I get it right, if I'm following God and being faithful, that things will go well for me. And I won't have to face storms. And so when things are hard or I suffer, I think I and you probably often think, I must have really blown it. What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? Why is this happening to me? And what's funny is that it's a very subtle version of the same thing that the TV preachers who are so slick and smooth that I despise say. I'll watch them every now and then. I'm clicking through, you know, and when I land on it, I have to watch it. It's about maybe every six weeks, two months. And then I'm always getting mad and arguing with TV and my wife is... Ben, what are you, why are you doing this? You know, why do you always do this? You know what he's going to say. Stop yelling at the TV in front of our kids. <laughs> he can't hear you. And even if he could, he would not listen. And yet, that health and wealth gospel preacher is alive and well in my heart. And preaches to me every day. And says, if you do it right, it'll go well for you. If you sow a seed of faith. God will reap a harvest, by which I mean a bigger house, a promotion, and life the way you want it to be. And this passage teaches us that Jesus leads us into storms. And if I'm honest, that is incredibly frustrating. I don't like storms. And I don't like to be afraid. I don't like to be out of control. And I don't like not having easy solutions for my problems. Why does he do that? Why does he put us in these situations? Why does he let these things happen? Doesn't he care? It's exactly what the disciples ask. Teacher, don't you care that we're here? And notice, in the middle of this storm, by all reasonable means they are afraid of and think it's going to kill them, what's Jesus doing? Verse 38. And he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. I love that he concludes that it's on a cushion, by the way. It's a little uh, eyewitness detail that the New Testament is sprinkled with because they're based and written from eyewitness accounts. Sidebar. It's really happened. It's not a fable. He's on a cushion. Asleep. Incidental detail. Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm. 
Do you feel like Jesus is falling asleep on you? Oftentimes when it seems like you need him the most, you feel that way. I have. Maybe. Don't you care that I'm afraid that I'm going through this, that there's death all around me? And you are asleep. It's easy to identify with the disciples on this one, isn't it? The logical conclusion that being asleep equals doesn't care. It's Father's Day. Some husbands in the room. Have you ever been sitting up late, men, at night, talking with your wife, and she's telling you about her day, and you've had a long one too, and you drift off to sleep while she's talking? <laughs> I've done that. And what does my wife reasonably infer? From my slumber, you don't care, right? It's not exactly warm and tender and loving. You're asleep. And if you cared, you'd be listening. If you cared, you wouldn't let this be happening. If you loved me, you would be keeping us safe. That seems very reasonable. But part of what the story is here to teach us, part of why Mark includes it, part of why Jesus did it, story is showing us that that just is not the case. We may not be let in on the reasons, but we know that Jesus always has his reasons. And he's earned that trust. Even when he is asleep, Jesus is up to something. So verse 39 comes, and he does wake up. Verse 39, he woke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. And said, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I love that language. He rebuked the wind and the sea. That phrase, peace be still, is sort of how you would speak to a child who's being disrupted. Our next door neighbors, we live in a town in Williamsburg. We share a wall with them in a backyard area. My oldest child is seven. And they have this dog named Captain. And uh, he's a half British bulldog, half boxer. So he's like the most friendly, goofy puppy you can imagine. But he is intimidating to behold. It's just this barrel chested. You can see his muscles ripple uh, as he you know, struts through the backyard. Uh, I can remember a time when my son Benjamin, he was about four years old, came busting into the house. He'd been playing in the backyard. And he said, Dad. Yeah, there's this captain dog named Captain in the backyard, and he came running around, you know, just mortified at this beast. This is this big, slobbery, goofy, goofball. But um, I remember a night as well where I was taking out the trash and coming around the corner, and it was at night, it was dark, and um, something came barreling around the corner of the house, and I jumped and I dropped the trash and sort of just let out a little, you know, like, you know, I don't know. I didn't scream. Okay. I didn't scream like a little girl. Maybe I scream like a little boy. <laughs> and um, I jumped, and it was Captain, of course. And once I saw that, it was him. Okay. What's really amazing is my neighbor, Will, has trained Captain so well. It doesn't matter if Captain's running around in the woods or playing with slash terrifying my children. If Will steps onto the back deck and just says, Captain, Captain hits the brakes, turns around. And sprints to the back. Is that well trained? 
Jesus speaks to a squall. And it obeys him just the same. Like a well-trained dog. Peace be still. The passage says there was great calm. That phrase, great calm, you all live by the ocean. I think of great calm is maybe you go down to the beach and it's low tide and it's just kind of still and peaceful. This is actually more of a nautical term. It's more like what you would see on the lake. When you get up early in the morning and there's a little bit of mist and you can see the reflection of the trees on the water. The Sea of Galilee just turned into glass. You can imagine the boat still rocking back and forth from the way it's just settling down. Imagine. Utter peace and stillness. Early church father Jerome said this about this passage. Creation recognized its creator. Creation recognized its creator. A little lighter than Jesus' story for the Bible, the children's Bible I read to my kids, said this. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice because they had heard it they had heard it before, of course, in the very beginning when he had spoken them into the evening. They recognized his voice because they had heard it before. So Jesus, through this storm, is showing his disciples something about himself about his identity, about who he is, and why they can trust him. She'll listen to these Old Testament passages from the Psalms about God and water and see if they sound familiar in this passage. Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Psalm 65, the Lord, who stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of his signs. Psalm 107, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. The Lord who sits enthroned on the storm, who stills it with his voice, who tells it hush. Making the people stand in awe of his son and his gladness. And that's why he's saying, he's saying, disciples, have you figured out yet who I am? Why are you so afraid? Don't you know who I am? We'll come back to that idea in a second. But I want to point out something interesting here. After everything is calmed down, he doesn't turn to the disciples and say, Are you guys okay? I know that was scary. Sorry I was asleep. Can I do anything else for you? Can I fix you a snack or a cup of hot cocoa to calm down your fears? He's actually correcting them. It's loving, but it's a gentle rebuke saying, why are you so afraid? 
Isn't that interesting? Frederick Gruner, the commentator, puts it like this. He says, there is something moral about faith. It is often a form of courage. And its absence counts. We learn from this passage that faith is not simply the passive acceptance of truths. A weak resignation that just believes. Faith is often depicted in the Gospels as a courageous confidence that Jesus, this is the kicker, that Jesus is equal to the occasion. A courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. Now don't misunderstand when he's saying there's something ethical or moral about faith and something wrong with its absence. He's not saying that faith is meritorious or the one special good work that earns God's favor. Rather, it's the thing that connects us to Christ, the one who is equal to the occasion. He is saying that there is an active component, a commandment, an imperative to believe, to not be afraid, in spite of your fears. Jesus is saying to them, don't doubt my love. Don't you care? And don't doubt my word. I told you a few verses ago that we were going to the other side of the lake. Why did you think that wouldn't happen? Haven't you read the Psalms? Don't you know who I am? I sit enthroned on this water, and I tell it to be still when I want to. What's the problem? Have faith, not fear. Now, oftentimes at this point in the sermon, what happens to us is this. At stage left, enters guilt and her sister, shame. And I could say something to you like, what is wrong with you? Where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? Don't you, shouldn't you just believe better? What is wrong with you people? Get over it. And we preach that to ourselves, don't we? Ah, stupid. Idiot. I should just believe better. I'm going to work harder believing now, and then things will be better. But notice still the emphasis, both in Bruder's quote and in the passage. He calls it the courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, don't you know who I am? Do you still not have faith? Believe. I've healed. I've forgiven sins in front of you. I've taught you with authority, and you've memorized my words. Did you forget who you were dealing with? Don't you know who I am? Do you believe that Jesus is equal to your occasion? What would it look like for you to have that courageous confidence? To believe that He has the power to say, Peace be still. Verse 41, we'll see how the disciples react. And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Literally, it says, They feared great fear. Who is this? They are more afraid after the storm. They fear your great fear. Because they are getting a glimpse of who Jesus is. 
Have you ever been out at night and everything is pitch dark? And the thunderstorms rolling in like the ones we've been having the last few nights? And there's a lightning strike? Or just in the clouds, and for just that split moment, everything lights up like a photographer just set off a million flashes. And you can suddenly see everything in just daylight and it goes dark. That's something like what the disciples just saw. There's this moment. The veil's lifted a smidgen, and they begin to see Jesus for who he is. And they are utterly unsettled. They're more afraid of him than they were of the storm that filled their boat. If you're a fan of the TV show Lost, this is where the screen would go black, and the lights would come on the screen.
Where's our comfort? Where's our calm? I was reading and studying this passage originally in several different commentaries, and all of them kept bringing up Jonah. And there's a lot of parallels. But that's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way before. We began to get into it. And thankful for those men. This, uh, this is spot on. Um, several parallels and contrasts here with the book of Jonah. If you're new to Christianity and unfamiliar with the Bible, and haven't read the book of Jonah, presupposing some knowledge here of it, I encourage you to pick up a Bible this afternoon. It's a couple pages long and read through it. It's a fascinating story. Jonah. Here's some contrast. Jonah is avoiding the call and mission of God that he's been given. Jesus is following him. Jonah endangers his passengers by his presence, whereas Jesus keeps them safe. Jonah is powerless, and he has to submit to the storm. Jesus in divine power forces the storm to submit to him. And Jonah, after the storm is calmed, the pagan sailors fall down and begin in fear to worship God. And Jesus, the sailors who were faithful Israelites, are afraid of him more than they were of the storm and begin to question his identity. And then the other big difference between the two stories, you know, John is thrown overboard. It's swallowed in judgment by a fish for three days. Jesus stays dry. Why? Because his three days are coming later in the story. Matthew 12. Jesus says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was flung not into the sea, but onto his cross. He spent three days not in the fish, but in the tomb. He is not vomited to the shore in shame, but is resurrected from the dead of the Lord. Don't you care that we are perishing? Oh, there's a huge irony in that. Perishing disciples? You don't even know what perishing is. And I will show you as I suffer hell for you on the cross. Don't I care? You don't even know what it means to care. The whole reason I'm here is because I care. You have no idea. I will perish so that ultimately you won't. I will rise so that you will live. See, the disciples, they survived that day. Why? 
because of their faith in Jesus. And how did that happen? How did such fearful, terrified people who are so afraid now become so courageous later that they would face death with faith? I'm sure there was some fear, but also that deep, courageous confidence. Why? Because they saw the sign of Jehovah. And Jesus crucified, dead, and buried, and risen. Risen from the grave. Death comes, but we have the sign of Jonah. Christ's resurrection is the ultimate peace be still, where he has turned to death. The last enemy he said, Hasha. I command the waves and the sea, and I command you. My resurrection in my glory. Brothers and sisters, storms howl, and we are afraid very, very often, much like the disciples. You are frightened, and so am I. But Jesus has shown himself equal to the occasion. He is our peace, be still. And so, just as Jesus said to Jairus at the end of these streams about fear, do not be afraid. I Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the king, that you are the ruler, that you are the captain of the storm. That you have risen, Lord Jesus. And that we can have confidence and faith in you in the midst of our trembling and our fear. That you draw us to yourself. That you unite us in your power and that you give us life out of death. Give us hope, give us grace, give us faith. In Christ's name we pray.